2 Corinthians chapter number 10. This is going to be a passage we, we visit often uh, in our series, Winning the War. In your mind, I am super, super thankful uh, for Brother David's message last Wednesday, uh, which I feel was incredibly helpful to me personally. And I've already heard so much good feedback uh, from those that were here last Wednesday. I watched it on live stream uh, because I was, I was two hours earlier in California. And so before I had to go to church, I, I watched um, everything that happened here last Wednesday. I was able to listen to that message. It was a big blessing. And a, and a help to me and was very, very practical. I hope that you took the time to go through that exercise sheet that was made available to you. There'll be another one made available to you tonight. I don't think we've already handed those out, have we? All right, at the Resource Center, though. Okay, they're at the Resource Center. Um, and I'll be referencing that at the end of the message tonight. And I hope that that doesn't feel like homework to you. It's not meant to be that. It's really just meant to give you something tangible that you can use to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Remember, being a hearer of the word only is, is, is one of Satan's avenues through which to deceive us. And really, we're deceiving ourselves if we think that all we have to do is listen and then we go out and, and then automatically become a doer. It doesn't happen that way. We only become a doer on purpose. And it takes a lot. You think it's hard to listen on a midweek service after a long day at work? It's a lot harder to do it on Thursday. And so they, they say that, that when, when a person walks out from a lecture, a classroom lecture or something like that, they forget 90% of what the teacher or the speaker said the moment they leave the door. The moment they leave the door, 90%. And so being a hearer is hard. Being a rememberer is harder. Being a doer is even harder than that. If you, if you forget 90% of what you just heard, that means you're only going to act on 10%. <laughs> and so it's hard. It's hard work. And uh, this... this this series has, I think, has potential to change your life if you'll do it, if you'll apply it. I think it'll help. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. Excited about our, our content tonight. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A few weeks ago, we began this series. And on week one, here's what we discovered. What we think shapes who we are. That was the key thought of week number one, really a key thought for the series in general at large. Brother David talked about the principle in week two last week, beneath every sinful deed is a lie believed. So, so last week, you learned that your first weapon in the battle for your mind is the remove and replace principle. According to Genesis chapter 3, Satan's primary weapon against us since the fall has been deception. It's been lies. Our greatest counterweapon, David taught us, is God's truth. Practically, we remove the lies and replace the truth by doing three things. Pinpointing the lie, first of all. Number two, recalling God's truth. And number three, declaring God's truth out loud for us. Tonight, we're going to learn another tactic to help us win in the battlefield of our minds. And I'm titling the message this, Ruts and Trenches. Ruts and Trenches. We're going to learn a little bit about getting stuck in these mental ruts. And then we're going to learn about how to, how to get out by digging the right trenches of truth. I think that'll make sense by the time we're done. I sure hope it does. 
Uh, if the first two messages dealt with removing and replacing, tonight's message deals with rewiring and renewing. Okay, well, let's first talk about this, getting stuck in ruts. How many of you, by show of a hand, have ever, have ever been on a road with ruts? Okay, if you've driven in liberal Kansas, every hand should be up. You found a rut or two in our town. Perhaps no one in the United States understand ruts any more in their roads than those that live in Alaska. That's a picture of an Alaskan rut. In Alaska, there are only two seasons, they say, winter and July. And so when the weather gets warm in the summer, the, the snow melts and, and the dirt roads become muddy. Cars then drive on the muddy roads and create these long ruts that can run for miles. In fact, there's a sign along one Alaskan road that reads this. Choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 60 miles. True story. They say that when a, a rut gets really deep and, and your tires are all the way inside, you can literally let go of the steering wheel and the vehicle will just keep going down the road. You'll literally be stuck in one direction with no options to get out or get off until the rut ends. But, but as bad as that is, there are actually worse ruts than the ones you find yourself in on an Alaskan road. For instance... Have you ever committed to stop arguing with your spouse only to keep arguing with your spouse? That's a rut. Or told yourself that you'll never worry again because worrying is a waste of time, but you keep worrying. That's a rut. Or freaked out because your credit card bill is high, then you continue to make unnecessary purchases on your credit card. That's a rut. Or decided you're going to lose weight, but then you bought a bo bottle of pop and a donut at the gas station. That's a rut. <laughs> oh, and thank we got one honest one in the crowd. You know that you know the message is hitting home and Brother K says, oh me. <laughs> or you told yourself after a busy week that, man, you're gonna stop working so much and start spending more time with your wife and, and your kids and at church, but then Monday comes and you find yourself overcommitting again and overworking like you did the week before. That's a rut. Why do we do something we don't like doing only to do it again and again and again? Well, here's why. The same reason a car goes straight down a dirt road, even when the driver wants to turn. Because we get caught in a rut. And remember, when ruts get really deep, when your tires are all the way inside, you are stuck in one direction with no options to get out and you feel hopeless. You ever thought to yourself, why do I keep doing that? And I don't think I'll ever be able to change. See, that's how our brain works. Look at the screen. The brain is a command center that directs the parts of your body through neurons. Neurons link together to create messages. The same message sent multiple times will create what they call a neural pathway. That's a rut. The presence of a neural pathway makes a thought easier to think. and makes it easier for your body to send that message again. Now, do you get the point? Neural pathways are like ruts in your brain. Okay, a good way to think about this idea of a neural pathway is to think about a path created in your backyard by your dog. Dogs usually have these big backyards to play in, but often they choose to create a singular path instead of 
you know, using the entire yard. How do they do that? They, they, they do this by repeating a pattern of running the same exact direction every day. They kill the grass in that area and they've got this one precise path. That is reason number 796 of why I don't own a dog. They jack up your grass. Okay, that's the idea of a neural pathway. It's like a dog running the same direction in your brain, but instead of a dog, it's a thought. It's the result of repeated patterns of thinking over and over and over. And listen, it's important to realize that this kind of neural pathway or mental rut is not built in one day. You build good and bad neural pathways after repeating that same thought pattern many times, not a few. And think about it. That's actually a good thing when it comes to building good habits, good behaviors, good skills. It's the way God created us. I mean, for instance, like when you learn to drive a car. Okay, when you first learned to drive, you were probably a bit unsure of yourself. You probably fumbled through it a little bit, maybe went too easy on the gas at times while at the same time going too hard on the brakes. You, if you're blonde, you may have turned the wrong way when you drove in reverse for a, the first couple of times, right? <laughs> oh, me, Brother Kay? You're, I mean, come on, man, be honest. <laughs> but today, right, after years of driving, it's simple for you. Do you have to study your, your driver's ed manual now every time before you get in the car? In fact, have you ever been driving on a long road trip, gone deep into thought, and then after several minutes went by, suddenly snapped out of it? Like, who was driving while you were momentarily checked out? God, yeah. Honestly, you were driving. How? Here's how. By means of your developed neural pathways. Repetition formed helpful ruts. And before long, driving was easy and natural. And you could basically do it in your sleep. We could say the same thing about learning an instrument. Uh, I've done this a couple of times. I've asked Nino, she's practicing a, a, a hymn to play or something. I've said, play me like something from Beethoven or whatever. You ought to ask her to do that sometime. It'll blow you away. And her fingers are moving like 160 miles an hour by memory most of the time. And it's that muscle memory. There's this neural pathway created in her brain that makes her an exceptional pianist. I can remember when I was learning the piano, you know what I struggled with, you know, the most was, was like doing my hands, but doing the pedal at the same time. And now I can sit down and, and teach myself a song on the piano. And the last thing I think about is the pedal. It just is a neural pathway. I, I've been watching the U.S. Open, the tennis U.S. Open. You guys been watching that a little bit? No? A couple of you? Hey, thank you, Cole. I like tennis too. My wife was a high school tennis star in Lovett, Texas. Just have you know. The girl can still serve it. It's, it's pretty amazing. But she, she loves watching tennis. So we're watching tennis together over the last week or so. And we'll continue to watch the U.S. Open. We enjoy that. It's amazing that like you, you go pick up a tennis racket and tennis ball and you try to serve in that little square on the other side. It's hard. But those people do it like that at 130 miles an hour, these serves. It's wild, the things that become so natural to them. God created neural pathways to cause us to be effective. And they're good things. But because, listen, of our fallenness, neural pathways can also be a bad thing. Are you listening? Why? Because when it comes to sinful and negative thoughts, the more you think something, the easier and natural it becomes. 
like learning to play an instrument or, or ride a bike or, or drive a car. Your sinful and negative thoughts had an origin too. They had a beginning. Like it felt awkward at first to kind of drive a car and get the filling of the gas pedal and the, and the brake pedal down just right. But when you first thought of yourself maybe as a victim who can never win, well, it kind of felt weird at first. When you first gossiped about or criticized somebody else to make yourself feel better, that didn't seem natural at first. When you first dealt with your anxiety by eating a Snickers bar, that didn't really make sense at first. When you first used pornography to get over stress, didn't make sense. When you first did these things, you were uncomfortable and thought, man, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? You felt guilty and maybe even odd. But, but here's what also happened. You had a jolt of mental pleasure called dopamine. That little natural high is your brain's way of saying, I like that. Man, let's think that again. Let's say that again. Let's eat that again. Let's smoke that again. Let's drink that again. So you do it again and it gets less awkward. Then again, then again, then the fourth time it was much easier. And the seventh time you barely noticed, then you just lost track. And now the sinful habit has become as natural as driving to you. Why? The dog, the thought has created a path in your brain. So as natural as it is for instrumentalists to jump over there and just do what they do, it's as natural for some of us to do sinful things. See, you were designed by God to, to smoothly and, and efficiently create habits. You were made to have neurological ruts. I mean, God doesn't want you thinking hard every time you got to brush your teeth. He doesn't want you to think about that like crazy. Or every time you, you take a drink of water, God doesn't want to have to process that in your brain every time you do. We'd be wore out, right? So God created us to have neurological ruts. But when it comes to having sinful neurological ruts, those ruts eventually become a minefield of the enemy. But I got good news. I got good news. Because if you find yourself in a sinful rut, God gives us a way out. I love that. In fact, the promise is, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I could be wrong, but you know the verse where God says with every temptation, he's faithful to provide us a way of escape. And I love that promise. And I think it applies here that, that, that God has a way for you to get out of a rut. You don't have to stay there. I know you might feel hopeless. Like you'll always think this way. You'll always behave this way. You'll always talk this way. You'll never kick this habit. I know the devil has you down on your back thinking, I this is just who I am. And I'm going to have to live with it. My spouse is going to have to live with it. And God's going to have to live with it. But God doesn't want you to have to just live with it. You'll never be perfect, but you don't have to live inside a rut. You don't have to. I'm going to show you why that's the truth. So not just getting out of ruts or getting stuck in ruts, but, but let's talk about getting out. Digging trenches of truth. That's what I'll call it. Digging trenches of truth. Now, now when it comes to digging ourselves out of these ruts, I think it's important to realize that we have to get to the root of the issue. Okay. Here's what our natural tendency is to do as humans. We tend to only, uh, or at least first, go straight to the behavior. And we skip the root of the issue. So, so after identifying um, a problem or a rut, here, here's what we do. 
we say things like this. I'm going to quit smoking January 1st. We say this. This year I will eat healthy. This is my year. I'm going to join the gym next week. You know what? I'm going to stop getting into toxic relationships. I'm done with those. I'm tired of wasting my time on social media and comparing my life with everyone else's. You know what? I'm just, I'm off of social media for good. I'm going to let the whole Facebook world know, hey, I'm just, I'm out of here. See ya. You've seen those posts before? And then like two weeks later, whoosh, they, they got back. They're back. They're back. Darn it. <laughs> I will never look at porn again. I hate it the way it makes me feel. I'm not going to exaggerate or, or lie to get attention and feel better about myself. No more. I'm done doing that. You know what? I'm going to read the Bible every morning this entire year. You tell your wife and tell your kids, we'll never miss family devotions. Never again. You know what? I'm going to stop being late for work. I'm going to stop feeling sorry for myself. All I'm going to stop playing the victim. I'm going to spend more time with my family this month. See, we make statements like these, but they don't work. They don't work long term. You know why? Because this kind of approach to transformation only addresses our behavior. And behavior modification stops short of what lies underneath our behavior, which is our patterns of thinking. When I moved into 520 Lilac, our, our new house a year ago, about right now, been in there a year. It was a mess, absolute mess. It was a garbage fire. And, and, and I, I, I had help tearing down all these voluntary trees in my my backyard and started planting grass. And then there was this really ugly tree back there. And I looked at it every single day. I wanted it out and it's out now, but it would have been foolish for me to go out to that tree and tear off a branch, walk back in the house and say, babe, I took care of that tree. Put it in the trash can. You can count on me. I'll, I'll take your trees down. Yep. That's what I do. Now, taking a branch off a tree is not going to fix it. Be as silly as a doctor saying, hey, unfortunately, I got to tell you, you've got lung cancer. Okay, doc, well, just give me a cough drop. That'll help my throat. That'll help me maybe open up my throat a little bit and, and help me not to cough so much in public. Just give me a cough drop. That'll fix it. No, chemo will fix it. Radical surgery will fix it. A miracle from God will fix it. Not a cough drop. And so whenever we decide or say things like, you know what, I'm going to stop yelling at my kids. I'm going to stop isolating myself and living a lonely life. I'm going to stop playing the victim. I'm going to start exercising every day. Listen, when we approach change and transformation that way, what we're doing is just sawing off a branch or taking a cough drop. We're ignoring the real problem of the lie we believe and the mental rut we fall into. I find this a lot with folks that are trying to fix their marriage. All they want is a counseling session or two. They just, they just need the pastor to kind of take off a branch, give them a couple cough drops, and boy, we're good. No, you're not good. You're only attacking the symptoms, not the source. Thinking you can change the behavior by just removing the behavior is absurd because the behavior isn't the root problem. The neural pathway that leads to the behavior is the problem. The sinful rut in your mind that has been created by you allowing that thought to run free for months and maybe years is the problem. If you just stop the behavior, guess what? The behavior will come back. 
It's proven by the fact that we diet for three months and then we don't diet for three months and then we have to diet for three months again and then we don't diet. Why? Because we've got a neural pathway around eating that is unhealthy and inconsistent and too, too, too impulsive. And so, yes, we can have the willpower to change our behavior for a weight loss competition, which is what I'm trying to do right now. But if I don't create my change, my neural pathways about how I think about food in general, that 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 food serves me, I don't serve food. If I don't change the way I think about it, guess what's going to happen? I can pluck a branch for 90 days. But I ain't getting rid of the tree. I can take a cough drop and lose a few pounds, but I'm not getting rid of the cancer. See, long before modern psychology revealed this, Jesus had something to say about the seriousness of the patterns of thought that lie beneath our behavior. Look at Matthew chapter 5 on the screen. You've heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. So talking about murder. But I say unto you, Jesus is saying this, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So remember that we're talking about murder and anger. Okay, look at verse 27 and 28. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So we got murder, we got anger, we got adultery, and we got lust. Okay, Christ saw... The failure of behavior modification in the Pharisees. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, we learn that the Jesus way of life doesn't mean that we have to try to become people who don't murder and have affairs. Okay, the Jesus way of life means that we become the kinds of people who don't have neural pathways of hatred and lust. Why does someone murder? Because a thought ran uncontrolled in their mind and repeated enough times, an angry thought, for them to kill somebody. You don't wake up and say, I'm going to kill somebody today and go kill somebody. You think about it for a long time first. If the person was never thinking angrily in the first place, he would have never become a murderer. Right? Why does someone cheat on their spouse? That does not happen overnight. It happens when you connect with somebody at work that's not your spouse. And over time, these thoughts begin to pop in your mind. And instead of taking them captive, you let those imaginations run free. And they grow and they grow and they grow and form a stronghold in your mind until you just become an adulterer. In other words, Jesus is teaching this. Unless we break the wrong pattern, our lives will continue moving in the wrong direction. Notice what I said there. Unless we break the wrong pattern. I didn't say identify the wrong pattern. I didn't say admit that we have a wrong pattern. Because identifying your, your weakness and admitting you have one has never changed you. It is doing what you have to do to get out of the rut. It's doing what you have to do to break the pattern. That is what will get you in the right direction. Unless we break the wrong pattern. Our lives will continue to move in the wrong direction. So what do we do? Well, we respond to ruts by creating trenches. Trenches. Well, how, how do you create a trench exactly? Well, in all, all of my off-road experience, let me share with you um, what I've done, you know, with my 4x4 Jeep and all. 
Just kidding. Had to look it up. Off-road education guidebook explains this. I put it on the screen. Dig two trenches at a 45 degree angle. That's how you get out of a rut. Either right or left. And put the dirt or snow backing the rut. Then you drive forward slowly, turn, and the vehicle should come out. How deep do the trenches need to go? Well, as deep as the ruts are. The deeper the ruts, the deeper the trenches needed to get out. Okay, so we know that the, the only antidote for lie, follow this, is the truth. That's why our first tool is, is a replacement principle. And the only antidote for a negative neural pathway, watch, simple, is a new neural pathway. So instead of living in a rut, you can actually create what we would call a truth trench that runs deeper and diverts the flow of your thought from old pathways to new ones. Here's what I'm saying. We need a predetermined series of, of set thoughts for each time we're triggered to get back in that rut. Okay, for you, the trigger may, may be feeling alone or, or, or fearing failure or being stressed and overwhelmed or being around certain people. Or just when nighttime comes, for every time you're triggered to think and behave sinfully, watch here, you need a set thought to combat it. You need a truth trench to get you out of that rut immediately and create a new rut. Question, where do we get these new thoughts? Sinful ruts are created by sinful thoughts. Okay, good ruts are created by biblical thoughts. We look to God's word. David talked about this last week. How did Jesus combat the, the temptation in the wilderness? With every lie that the devil told him, he said this, as it is written. In other words, he went back to what was true in the Bible and he combated the devil's deception. Now for us to be able to do this, watch here, it, we need more than just to, to, to know God's word. Okay, we need more than just to have a head knowledge of God's word. We need to internalize God's word. David's going to talk about this more next Wednesday. The idea of meditation, which I think is, is an underutilized spiritual discipline in our church specifically. And I'm excited about that next message because it could change your life. But the internalization of scripture is how you build a truth trench. Psalms 119 verse 11, thy word. Have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee? We call this tool the rewire principle. Rewire your brain, renew your mind. Okay, here's what the process looks like. Let me show you. We're going to get practical and then go home. Number one, identify the rut. Number two, create a new trench of truth with God's word. Number three, write a declaration. Literally write it out. Think it and confess it or say it. So in order to do this, look at that first one, identify the rut. You have to be honest about your ruts. Okay? You, you'll never see your desperate need for new neural pathways if you don't own up to your existing harmful ones. Okay? Remember, God can't change what you won't confront. God can't help you defeat what you can't define. Are you willing to do, unwilling to do the work to define? And watch, God won't be able to heal what you continue to try to hide. 
Okay, I want to give you some examples of what this process looks like. These are just examples to get you started on this exercise sheet that you're going to get at the Resource Center after the service. Example number one, we'll just say, is centered around food dependence. Whenever you're angry or sad, here's the rut, you eat. You reach for unhealthy food. Now, I'm going to be honest when it comes to this specific issue. This is not a message on gluttony. Let's just be honest as, as Baptists. Uh, we tend to laugh off this situation a little bit. We tend to laugh off the fact that, yeah, as Baptists, we know how to give and we know how to preach and we know how to eat. There ain't nothing wrong with eating. But there's a lot wrong with overeating. And there's a lot wrong with going to food before you go to Jesus. Are you with me? So we can't just laugh this off as though, yeah, this is kind of a minor issue. Either you're going to be heavy or you're going to be skinny, okay? That's how God made you. Not really. How do you create a trench of truth then with God's word? Well, you find somewhere in God's word, for me at least, that speaks to Jesus being what you need. Not food. I, I chose John 6, 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. You know what that means? Jesus can do for your soul what food could never do for your soul. Okay, then based on God's word, what do you do? You write your declaration, which would be something like this. When I'm stressed, I turn to God, not food. I come to him because he's the only one who can truly satisfy my soul. Now, every time you're hurt or, or angry or sad, you prayerfully proclaim your declaration. You, you write it and you think it and confess it until it creates a new path in your brain. Until going to Jesus instead of food is as natural to you as driving. It takes work. Some of you will think that, that repetition like this is weird. And it's charismatic. And it's name it and claim it. But just think about your dependence on food for a moment. This problem is not a new choice you make each time. It's natural for you if you are an overeater to overeat. It's natural. You don't even think about it anymore. It probably started a long, long time ago. But because you thought that way enough, it's become natural. Now, now the question is, how deep does the trench need to be? Do I really need to go through this kind of silliness or do I just need to just come to the altar tonight, pray, and just, it's going to change like that. Do I really need to go through all that? It seems like it's overboard, Brother Tyler, a little psychotherapy here. That's not why we come to church, right? Well, as deep as the rut is, is as deep as the trench needs to be. Are, you, you get what I'm saying? If we have repeated a lie so much that we believed it, then accepted it, then took it for granted, then internalized it, we're going to need to do the same thing with God's truth. And that doesn't happen overnight. A dog doesn't kill grass and create a precise pathway by running on that layer of grass one time. It's multiple times a day. Do I really need to go through this? Kindly, I say, absolutely. If you want to change your mind, it takes an immense amount of work. Isn't it frustrating that, that creating unhealthy or sinful neural pathways is a lot easier than recreating new ones sometimes? It just takes a lot more work. Why is that? You know why? You're a sinner. And I'm a sinner. But the good news of the gospel is that when we got saved, 
sin lost its power over our life. And, 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 and thank goodness, we don't have to endure sin's penalty in eternity. But we still have to mess with sin's presence. It's called our flesh. And listen, your flesh will get the best of your brain if you don't do stuff like this. If you think that coming to church three times a week is enough for you to be a good thinker, <laughs> you're sadly mistaken. I could preach on blue in the face, but until you become a doer of the word, like you take ownership of your thought life, it won't change. You will continue to do the same things over and over and over. I'm urging you as your pastor, take ownership of this. Like I, I'm, I, I wish that, I, I have a hard enough time, by the way, doing this for myself. So I can't come to each of your house and kind of spoon feed every member. Okay, have, have you done your declare it and write it? I can't do that. I have a hard enough time doing it for me. This is painful for me. You've got to take ownership of this. Let me give you another concise example. Insecurity. This is a very, very common one. Here's the rut. I am not enough. Not enough. And that shows up in all kinds of different ways. When you're disappointed, you instantly just say, it was me. I'm just not enough. And, and when something happens that, 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 that you weren't expecting, that's just not enough. It just never goes my way. Leads to self-pity. It leads to self-destructive tendencies if it runs free for too long. So you've got to find a truth trench. What is it? I, I even suggest Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, watch this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Declaration, I'm enough in Jesus. He died for me. He's living in me. I don't have to find myself worth in what others think of me. Somebody say amen to that. That's the gospel, my friend. That's the gospel. It's amazing. Here's, here's what I struggled with my whole life. Uh, until 19 years old, doubting salvation. The rut says, I don't know if I'm saved because I don't know if I checked all the boxes when I came to Christ. And I hear all these preaching, you know, I, I, I don't know if my behavior changed enough after salvation. I don't know if I said the right words. I don't know if I really meant it. And so we don't know if he checked off all the boxes and, and, and that's the rut. Well, here's the truth trench and this is liberating if you doubt your salvation. For he hath made him to be sin for us. God made Jesus to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Declaration. My approach to Christ didn't save me. It wasn't my prayer. It wasn't my sincerity. It wasn't even my complete level of understanding. It was Jesus taking my sin and giving me his righteousness that saved me. When you stand before God one day, you will not have to quote your salvation prayer to him. Isn't that amazing? In fact, after you're saved, God sees you through his son, Jesus. So you don't even have to keep score of your behavior. The grace of God invites you and enables you to live a holy life. But there's not going to be a scoreboard in heaven where all of God's people are in this gigantic, like 200 mile long line waiting to go to God and look at the scoreboard. It's not that way. It's not that way. 
You've been made righteous through Jesus. Boy, I love that. I, I can't get excited enough about it. Are you excited about that? I love that. I love that thought. That's a truth trench. I, I'm just telling you, you know why this works? Because it's worked for me. Worked for me for over a decade. Over a decade. Listen, folks, over a decade, I went to bed scared. When it got dark, even as a teenager, I feel silly about this. When it got dark, I got scared because instantly the devil hit me with doubting my salvation. I didn't doubt it during the day, only when I turned the lights off. When I got still and silent and by myself, I kept questioning, did I mean it? I don't remember what I said. All I remember is here on 13 and 14, I just lied to my mom. She still doesn't even know that. Right? And all, all I could do is, was doubt and boy, that was, that was crippling to me. But when I learned, when, when I learned it, when I got a truth trench that ran deeper than the lie. And I, and I quoted it enough for a while. It was Romans 10, 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That simple. I love second Corinthians five. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Listen, this just works. It works. You identify your rut. You dig a new trench of truth. Then you make a declaration over and over and over. You run the path over and over and over until your mind thinks as naturally in a biblical way as it did in an unbiblical way. Now, here's what I want you to realize. You can start thinking just as naturally in the right direction as you've been thinking in the wrong direction. But like that's God's grace. I'm telling you, if I was God, I would struggle with giving you second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances to rewire your brain. Right? I'd struggle with that. But every, every time we build these sinful neural pathways, God's, God gives us his book. And he, and he gives us his grace. And he says, I'll, I'll help you rewire that brain of yours. I will. Don't let anybody tell you that that, that has to be permanent in your life. That habit, that, that addiction, that response. Those words, man, don't, don't listen to the devil's lie. Let me close with this. Psychologists talk a lot about the law of exposure. It says that, that the mind absorbs and reflects what it is exposed to the most. And, and this is actually a biblical principle. Look at this scripture verse will be done. Isaiah 26 verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Stayed, stayed. To stay our minds on God means more than just having a passing thought. It means more than hearing a sermon. It means to have truth trenches that are deeper than your ruts. What consumes our mind controls our life. If you want to change your life, you have to change your thinking. So stay your mind on Christ. I want to encourage you to take that exercise sheet when you leave church tonight. In fact, Potsy, why don't, why don't you go grab those? And uh, Calvin, why don't you go with Potsy, get, get some of those and, and let's, uh, let's, get, let's hand those out before we take the offering. I, I want to have an invitation real quick. Can we have an invitation? And, and here's what I want to do um, before I talk about the exercise. I, 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 just, I heard David give his invitation last week. I thought that was super appropriate. That we ought to just plead for God's help with this. I ought to just say, God, Man, your spirit identified 
this rut and that rut. Instead of getting overwhelmed with all the ruts you have, let's pick the one that dominates you the most tonight. What's the habit you tried to kick and you can't? Is it words? Is it a substance? What's the relational habit you've gotten into that just keeps plaguing your marriage? Is it your response? Is it that you shut down? Is it bitterness? So, so I want you to come uh, for the uh, invitation tonight and, and just simply say, God, I, I can barely identify my rut. I need your help to dig a truth trench. And when I don't feel like declaring it and believing it, Lord, help me to act my way to a feeling and not feel my way to an action. God, get victory. Help me, please. Victory is not, doesn't happen when you just tear off a branch or take a cough drop. It happens when you get to the root of the issue. So let's pray and let's do that. Brother Daniel's going to sing, in my life, be glorified as he does. You make your way to the altar.